Hey guys, welcome to the Primitive Podcast. I'm Cade Wilcox, your host. On today's episode, we have Russ Horn. Russ is the president of a, a local company here to love it called Conetrics. Really great episode. Uh, I loved his, his insights into and how he defines leadership and how he sees his role in leadership. I loved his insight into running and growing a, a fast-paced business while also having kids and protecting that time. This episode filled with a lot of rich, uh, rich stuff. So enjoy this, and uh, thanks for listening along to the Primitive Podcast. I found that when I create discipline in my life, I become a better person, I'm calmer, I less stress. For sure. I remember when I started running marathons, one of the things I decided to do just as a discipline was quit Cokes. And I did it mainly for the discipline part, just to do something and, and be disciplined about it. And I haven't had a Coke since 2009. Wow, that's incredible. Well, everyone, welcome to the Primitive Podcast. Russ, thanks for joining today. Really appreciate you being with us. So for those who don't know Russ Horn, tell us about your background and kind of a little bit about the work you do right now. Sure. Well, I grew up in, in the small town of Robert Lee, Texas. Most people haven't heard of it. You don't you don't drive through it unless you intend to. It has <laughs> it has one light okay. in it, but it blinks right in the middle of town. So we have more deer than we do people in the <laughs> town. Good. So grew up that could in be a, a good thing, actually. Yeah, I grew up in a in a small town, came to Lubbock for college and have lived here ever since. Uh, today I serve as the president for Kinetrix and we're a, a technology company. We actually have four subsidiary technology okay. companies. Uh, servicing uh, companies throughout the U.S. And, and across the world. Cool. And is it primarily uh, financial institutions, or did I make that up? Sure. So two of our companies focus primarily on financial institutions, Okay. and we service about 1,400 uh, banks and credit unions throughout the U.S., so that's about 20, a little over 20% of the banks in the U.S. Okay. The US. Wow, that's crazy. And like, what kind of technology, I mean, what does that work look like specifically? Sure. So, so of our four companies, one of them focuses on uh, we write accounting software, and that's that's Accountingware, and that's what started our business in 1977. So we still have that software today. Um, our second business is a traditional technology managed service provider. Uh, our third business does uh, security work, and this one's primarily for banks. So we'll do audits and pen tests or ethical hacking okay. uh, for financial institutions. Wow. And our last one is a SaaS uh, offering, software as a service for financial institutions to help them with um, cybersecurity, information security, and compliance. I like that ethical hacking. So so uh, that's good. That's good. Um, I immediately start thinking of Russia and all kinds of things when, when you say that. So boy, that would take us down some rabbit holes, wouldn't it? Yes, sir. Um, so you said you, you've been uh, with Conetrix a long time and you serve as the role as president. And so in your particular context, uh, what does leadership look like you know, for you? What's your role in leadership? But then just broadly speaking, when you think of leadership, what, what kind of definition or, or what are the types of things that you see uh, as to be the responsibility of leaders? Sure. So, <clears throat> you know, I, I think it really boils down to people. Um, if, if you say, what is leadership? I'm going to say, well, it's, it's all about people. But more practically, I think there's maybe three areas uh, that are more practically on how you serve people as a leader. And I think the first one is really around mission, vision, core values of a company. I think um, employees of a company expect their leader to, uh, to, to really um, instill the mission and the core values and to have really strong vision for them. For, for us, you know, our four core values that, that we've held on to for years, one is integrity. And so our 
our employees, you know, our average employee's been with us 10 years, which is incredible, oh. but they stay with us because we have these strong core values and and leadership really invests time into, into holding on to those core values, like integrity. We, we want to be a place that we're proud to work and right. that we, um, we're honest and, and we know we're working with other honest people and we don't have to question that. And so we have to hold on to those core values. Um, I think second is removing obstacles. <clears throat> so, you know, if you're, if you're working on a team or in a project, periodically you run up into obstacles, whether it be um, working with, with another team, whether it be a resource that you need, whether it be um, a contract issue or, or whatever. And they're not really in, in your lane. Um, they're not what you're passionate about, and they're, and they're not a good uh, – they don't work well within your time to be super efficient. And so I think that's where you can hand that off to someone in a leadership role, and they can solve those problems for you. They can remove the obstacles. So I think good leaders help remove obstacles for various uh, team members. And then finally, I, th I think good leaders really <clears throat> invest uh, back into the people and try to uh, make the people successful. And so um, what do I mean by that? Well, I think of strong leaders in my past that I've been blessed to be around, and, and they care about me. And they want me to be successful, and they want me to grow, and they want to provide me opportunities, and, and they good, give me good feedback so that I can be better. And so I think that's that, that's what a, a leader does. So protecting the, the culture, removing obstacles, and uh, growing and investing the people. You've been in this leadership role for a long time. I mean, uh, first of all, those are really great, very, very clear. And, and even as I was listening to you and trying to you know take notes, I was reflecting on some of these things in my own leadership what kind of challenges have you found in 15 years of leadership related to some of these things? For example, when you talk about mission and vision and core values, what are some of the challenges you faced, you know, communicating those things or defining those things or whatever whatever the case might be? Sure. You know, I, <clears throat> I think early on, we always hired with those core values and talked about them, but we didn't always implement them into every, everyday life within our work. And it was a couple of different people within our company that kind of challenged our thought on that. Hey, we need to start instilling these core values in everything that we do. And so now they're, they're in our uh, annual reviews. So when we do reviews, we're talking about those core values. Um, they're, uh, every time we have a company meeting, we're talking about those core values. When we send uh, emails to the entire company, we try to reflect back on whatever the thought is, how does it fit with our core values so that we're continuing to uh, mention those core values and make decisions off of those core values, um, you know, continuously as opposed to um, just talking about them every so often or just letting yeah. them sit on the shelf. Yeah, so it's, everything's moving so fast. I mean, not just in leadership, in the organization in general. And so I, I appreciate what you're saying about just the necessity of the consistency around the mission and the vision and the values. And uh, really, you can't talk about those things too much, you know, because we're focused on all these different things. And so I think I, I wrote down consistency. I mean, that's, that's a really, really, really big one. I love what you said about removing obstacles. Like I, I certainly, you know, experience our fair share of problem solving, you know, but uh, in terms of removing obstacles so your team can be successful, like do you do that organically or, or like what, what does that look like in your organization? I think that's a really powerful idea. So <clears throat> I remember, I, I guess, when I first kind of realized that was a key piece, uh, one of the people that I work really well with um, and, and he is 
an incredible um, professional and an asset, but he would come up on things that he didn't want to spend his time on, and really it wasn't efficient for him. And so he would just ask me, Russ, can, can, you, can you do this? Russ, can you do that? Can you do this for me? And so I started picking those up, but I realized through thinking through that process, what, what he was really doing is saying, this is how I can be efficient in the company. This is what I'm passionate about. This is what I want to be doing. And these are other things that need to get done, but, but it's distracting me from being as good as I can be. And, um, and it really was, was clear to me then that what these are is these are roadblocks or obstacles for him to be effective. Mm. And so it's leaders' jobs to find ways to remove those mm. and so that he can focus on what he's doing. That's really powerful. I, I love that. How do you uh, view failure? Again, uh, you, you've been at this for a while, and so you've, you can probably think through your career and your leadership and identify all kinds of things that maybe you wish you could hit the, un, you know, the, the unwind button. And so when you think of failure, like, what do you think and what's your approach to learning from it and all that good stuff? Oh, yeah, the rewind, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> be or redo, I think <laughs> redo. A, a video game or something, and you want to, you wanna, oh, let me go back and start over. So. I, I, that's how I start almost every apology to my wife. Can I start over? <laughs> like, could, could we pretend for a second that I, I wasn't an idiot? And uh, <laughs> that's good. Um. You know, I, I think any person that has had success at all in their life, you're going to look and they're going to be multiple failures. And so I, I think it's how they they handle and react to those failures that's important. I think of my mom. She's She's been a great example for me on this. She's the forever optimist. She's so positive and encouraging. I remember she was a teacher when I grew up, and so all of my friends, you know, would have her. And they, they thought that she just put on this image in the classroom to be so positive. But when they'd come stay the night at my house, they're like, she's like this always. And I was like, I know. <laughs> but, but I think there's some, some positive qualities that I've tried to pick up from on that. When you run into a, an issue, um, a problem, a failure, you, it can either knock you down. You know, it can, it can take your wind out. It can discourage you. Or... You can look at it and say, hey, what can I learn from it? How can I be better? <clears throat> and that's how my mom would treat things. And so I try to do the same thing. Uh, when we hit a problem, you know, let's be positive about it. We're going to have um, failures. It's inevitable. How we deal with the failures is what, what matters. Are we using those failures to grow and improve? Um, or are we using those failures to create discouragement and depression? Mm. What uh speaking of failure and, and just learning from kind of experience, what what do you feel like some of the things you've learned about yourself in these last six, seven, eight, nine, ten months? <laughs> you know, kind of, you know, right after twenty twenty. Like when you think about the last year, what are some of the things you've learned about your own leadership and, and things you learned along that journey? Wow. <clears throat> yeah, we, we have to be flexible. Um, you know, nothing is for sure. Uh, in life, well, I'm, I'm a faith person, so I believe some things are for sure. But right. most of the the areas that we work with in life, within our business, you know, it, it's not for sure. You don't know what tomorrow holds, and it it could be a drastic change from what you're expecting. Um, and so you have to be flexible. You have to give grace, and and you have to keep moving forward. That's good. How do you uh, approach your own personal growth? You know, as a leader, you're responsible for for caring for and leading forth you know, for your team, but how do you lead yourself? You know, I love that question because I made an intentional effort to, um, to try to improve myself several years ago. Hmm. I found that many of my early successes were due to other people in my life uh, giving me opportunities and taking care of me and, and growing me um, and investing in me. 
but but I wasn't spending as much time investing in trying to improve myself. <clears throat> and I realized several years ago, uh, as, as I was put in a leadership position at our company, and our company started to really grow, I reflected and thought, I'm not, um, I'm not the right person for this role, that I don't have the right skills as our company grows. And so either I'm going to have to step out of the way uh, so that someone else can come in that can really run this growing company, or I'm going to have to change and improve. I'm going to have to better myself. And so I made an intentional effort to, um, to spend more time trying to develop myself as, a, as a, a leader and a person, and I started reading a whole lot more. I, I've always loved to read, but I was mostly, before that, spending time reading a lot of just nonfiction fun books. Yeah, sure. But I transitioned to reading a whole lot of leadership, um, business, self-help books, uh, listening to uh, whatever I could listen to, and reflecting and really studying um, how to become better. Mm. And it, one of the more encouraging conversations I had was, uh, a friend of mine, and he's a coworker and a mentor, Carl Cope. He's our COO at the company. Uh, I remember one day several years ago, he walked into my office and said, Russ, I, I don't want to offend you, and I, I don't really know, even know how to say this, but I just wanted to say, I, I don't know what you're doing, but I can tell a difference in you from last year or the year before. And this was maybe 18 months after I had really intentionally started mm. um, trying to develop myself better. And that, that encouraged me so much because it let me know that what I was doing was successful, that I was able to help others because uh, I was improving myself. What, when you reflected on your own growth and, and the need that your company had for you to grow as a leader, do you remember what, what areas of, of leadership it was? Was it communication? Was it vision casting? Was it, was it a particular element of your, of your leadership that you decided to really like grow in and what did that look like? Oh, it was probably every area. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know, I it, before that I had spent time, you know, developing technical skills, or um, you know, I always think that um, be, because of my upbringing and um, in faith that I did have a, a servant heart, but I don't think I had good intentional uh, practical skills. Uh, so yes, I think my communication helped. I think my um, wisdom in, in trying to look at a problem and evaluate it uh, and and try to figure out how I could serve and help. It was probably during that time that it really became clear that one of my roles was to remove obstacles. Mm. But I was looking at everything I did uh, through a different lens uh, than I had before. And so, yeah, I, I think every area. That's really good. Do you remember some of the, the books or, or maybe even some of the leaders that had the most impact on you? You mentioned you mentioned business, you mentioned leadership, you mentioned self-help. Do you remember some of the, the people and or books that, that really made an impact on you? <laughs> How much time do we have? Uh, plenty. <laughs> you're, very, you're a good mathematician. You're very succinct. And so we got plenty of time here. <laughs> um, yeah. So let me start with, so I read uh, 39 different books this last year wow. in 2020. And um, I did end up with three of my favorites then. And I'll try to reflect back on maybe some of the ones early on. No, that's good. But the ones that I, my three favorites from 2020, uh, the first one was Atomic Habits. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a great book. And, <clears throat> you know, I reflected back whenever I, I read that book on um, some earlier times. I, I, I used to run marathons. I shouldn't say used to. I'm, I'm actually going to run one again this year. It's that's been a couple awesome. of years since I ran one. 
But I remember the first time I trained for a marathon and, um, you know, you wake up in the morning and you decide if you're going to run or not. You create a plan and then you decide if you're going to run. And if you don't run, then, then you're not improving. You're not getting closer to your goal. And so every day that you miss is really a knock against you getting, hitting your goal. And one of the quotes from Atomic Habits, and let me see if I can remember it, um, something to the effect of uh, every choice you make is a vote for the person uh, that you want to be or will mm-hmm. become or right. something like that. Yeah. And so Atomic Habits is really talking about those, um, those little things that you do in life that you create good habits or you remove bad habits to help you become a better person. Mm. So I love that book. There was many other habit-forming books I read early on. Uh, The second of my favorite books from 2020 um, was um, Pound the Stone. And I actually read that one with my son. He was in seventh grade at the time, and we would— uh, re- and, it, and it's a very simple read, and it's kind of in story format. It's really good for leadership in the junior high, high school age group. And it's about a, a kid playing high school and him going through various different trials and, and obstacles and failures in life through his high school career, but he had these mentors which were helping improve him. And <clears throat> I, I remember my son, even after reading this book, um, when summer came, he purchased this, uh, this, this training thing to help him jump higher. And I thought, uh, oh, you know, he'll probably go a, a few days and then and not finish the workout. But he paid his own money for it. And he went through that thing for, I think it was a 60-day program. He did every day missed one. It's mm-hmm. the only one that he missed. And I was really proud of him. But I think some of it was some of the lessons that came out of that. It's really cool. Did it happen to be a program called Strength Shoes? You know, I don't remember, Do remember the name of it. You're taking me back. I When I was in like, I think it was junior high or something, I was super serious about sports and I bought these um, and I was always short. And mm-hmm. uh, so I bought these things called strength shoes and it was remarkable how much it helped me with speed and all that. And so when you said he he, he got a program that helped him, you know, jump higher or something, <laughs> it took me it took me a long ways back. What's the third book that made a huge impact? Um, the Power of Moments. And that one may have been my favorite. It goes and talks about, uh, it reflects on, you know, what are the most powerful moments in your life? And if you think about it, many of them are, the, you know, your first house, uh, when you got married, graduation. And what are all of those centered around? Well, they're centered around one small moment in your whole life. But we create these huge ceremonies for, for those moments. Well, what about everything else? Um, are we letting great moments pass unmemorable because we don't we aren't intentional about making them moments and um, I really loved that book because um, you know it makes you think that we do have the ability to create powerful moments in people that change who they are um, and they can reflect on and build off of but but if you don't understand that and you're not intentional about it you miss so many of those moments this is really good what you seem uh really disciplined so do you do you have like daily rhythms that are really critical to your leadership or to your success just generally in life like what are your daily rhythms or kind of daily disciplines look like you know um <clears throat> yes i, I I think I am disciplined, but not the way probably most people think of discipline. Mm-hmm. Like um, when I wake up, this is the first thing that I do, and it happens at this time, and it's a, a workout for this long, and um, it's not so regimented. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but yes, I have um, discipline in my life, and I found that when I create discipline in my life, I become a better person. 
I'm calmer, I less stress. For sure. Um, like, like I remember when I started running marathons, one of the things I decided to do just as a discipline was quit Cokes. Um, and, and I did it mainly for the discipline part, just to do something and, and be disciplined about it. And I haven't had a Coke since 2009. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, so yes, I, I do apply discipline, but not so regimented. Mm. What would you say is like a daily rhythm that is essential to your own success, whether it's sleep or whether it's nutrition or whether it's, uh, you know, reading or, or whatever the case may be, do you have a rhythm, uh, that's really kind of essential to your leadership and success? Um, yes. So, um, so there's a variety. I'm trying to think through which, which ones, one that, that I am very disciplined about. I mentioned before I'm a person of faith. Sure. So um, I read the Bible every day. I remember walking through in the mornings when I grew up, and my mom always had her Bible out. Whenever I think she did it on purpose, actually. Um, she would sit in the living room, and I can still see her occasional chair that she would sit in with the, with the little lamp over it and her Bible that was falling apart. She held it together with a rubber band. We tried to buy her a new one one year for she Christmas. She said, no way. No, she kept her old one because it had <laughs> all great. our notes but literally kept it together with a rubber band. And she'd be sitting there reading when I walked through to go eat breakfast every single morning. Um, and and I found that staying with the Word has grounded me. It's, mm. it's helped me to uh, keep my priorities in place. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been through s- situations that were stressful, and people have asked, you know, hey, are you feeling, you know, huge stress? And I didn't like the word stress. I think I prefer the word compression, <laughs> that a lot yeah. of stuff is compressed in a short period of yeah. time. But um, when you have good, strong, grounded faith, and those are times I would lean more into um, quiet time, to being around strong mentors and to, to reading the Bible and prayer, um, because then there isn't that stress because you have the right outlook on life. Yeah, it's really good. You've mentioned uh, people a lot uh, in terms of just influence on your life and people who have impacted you. When you think of, you know, the handful of people who have the greatest amount of influence on your life, you know, who are they and, you know, what do you feel like some of the major takeaways from their their influence on your life is? Sure. I think the first person that, well, when I reflect back, I was asked about that not too long ago when I was going to be talking about mentors to a group. And I was thinking back, you know, who was one of my early um, mentors? Now, my father, obviously, is is a strong, probably the most influential mentor in my life. But besides my father, I remembered a guy named uh, Bill Green. And he was, when I was in high school, he was actually an elder at our church, but he was just a, a, a male figure in the community, in Robert Lee. Um, very wise man and, and well-respected. But he managed the uh, government housing in Robert Lee, which was also kind of the um, independent living. A lot of elderly people lived there. And he would uh, do the maintenance and the, the the yard and all of that. So he invited me one summer to work with him. And I think he sought me out on purpose not to do the work, but, and I'm not even sure he needed a person, <clears throat> but in order to invest time in me. And I appreciate that. But the, one of the lessons I remember the most, and he didn't just preach to me, he uh, visited with me and helped me learn things by asking me questions and by observing. So it's burned in my memory this one time when I was, we were trimming hedges and I was on the backside of a house trimming hedges and this um, elderly woman, uh, widowed woman came to the door and she had a big old glass of lemonade and a plate full of cookies. And she said, you know, hey Russ, it it was like in June, middle of the summer, probably over a hundred degrees. 
you know, you've been working out here all day. Uh, why don't you come in and, and take a seat in air conditioning and I have some cookies and lemonade. And I said, oh, no, ma'am, we're working. I've got to get this all finished. And I just kept going. Mm. Well, I think Bill saw that. Well, I know he saw it because a few minutes later he came and got me and said, hey, let's go for a trash run. <clears throat> and these were your, you, you know, think of a small town, USA, old pickup truck that doesn't have air conditioning, windows down, an old man with one arm, you know, sticking out the window and, and a young high school kid with another and a trailer full of, you know, uh, trimmings and cuttings from the trees driving out to a dump. Going 10 miles an hour, he would always make those drives really slow, and that's when he would reflect. And he said, hey, Russ, I saw, I can't remember her name, Mary, um, and she had, you know, lemonade and cookies or something. Tell me about that. And I said, oh, yeah, she asked if I wanted some, but I told her, no, I've got to get this finished. And he goes, hmm. He said, you know, Russ, she doesn't have any, I still remember this, she doesn't have any family that lives in town, and, and, um, and she didn't really have many visitors very often, and you know what, I don't even think she eats cookies or drinks lemonade. Why, why do you think she made that? Mm. And I was like, oh, I, I guess for me. And, and he said, well, Russ, what do you think really is our purpose out here? And I said, well, we're, you know, trimming, painting, we're doing all these things. And he goes, but, but why, for who? Well, for the resident. You know, he talked me through um, this, this missed opportunity I had and, and helped me to realize she had done that uh, for me, and sh- what she needed more than trimmed hedges is she needed someone to sit down and and she wanted to love on someone that was serving her, but she wanted communication. She wanted someone to talk to. She wanted relationship. And through that, and he asked me questions until I discovered that. He didn't just tell me, this is what you did wrong, Russ. Right. But then afterwards, he said, Russ, you have, it, you have the authority to always serve the the person. And that means if you're trimming hedges and they have a need, you go in there. If they want to just give you a glass of water, you sit down and you talk to them, and you don't care how long it takes because we're here to love and take care of and serve them. And I've remembered that throughout life. It is so easy to get stuck on tasks. On the hedges. Yeah. Yeah. And forget about the people, which is the reason you're doing it. Mm, it's really powerful. Thanks for sharing that. It's, uh, yeah, what, what a, a profound impact people like that have on on people's lives and school all these years later you remember that um one of my favorite questions is if you could speak to your younger self you know if you could go back 15 20 years ago right at really the beginning phases of your own leadership journey knowing what you know now what what would you en- encourage yourself you know to consider and to learn 15 20 years ago you know i love this question <clears throat> and i thought back about it and and i did think of some things i was happy i did know um uh, but then I also thought, you know, what would I have told myself at 20? And I think it's something I already mentioned to you. I would have told myself, um, invest invest in yourself and learning how to be a better person so you can serve others better. Uh, because I, I did neglect that early on. I wasn't reading books on how to uh, be a better leader. I wasn't learning about, um, you know, what skills I had that, that were good and which ones I needed working on um, and how to serve those around me better. What are those things that, that you did learn? You mentioned there are a couple of things that you did learn that you're glad you learned. What were those things? You know, one of them, and, and I think it was in one of your other podcasts uh, with maybe Dr. Jones, he said, uh, one of the, I think it was him that said one of the, the, the big foundations is make sure that you um, put your, your wife first. I think he mm-hmm. was the one that said that, you know, spouse first, because you, you could be super successful in business, but then if you... If you don't have that strong relationship, 
um, and you're not retiring with with someone after uh, 50 years of marriage and, and have this great relationship, then you've lost it all. Yeah. My dad early on would always tell me, Russ, you're going to have to pick your priorities in life. And he said, mine are God first, family second, and work third. And 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 he would instill that in me. And so I think early on I did create those priorities. Mm-hmm. I did put God first. I did put family second and, and work third. And knowing my personality now, if I hadn't been told that and I hadn't listened and I hadn't applied that, I could easily let work consume every mm-hmm. aspect of my life because I love work. Yeah. You mentioned a junior high son earlier. Is that do you have, do you have multiple kids or? Yes, I have. I have three uh, children that I'm super proud of. My oldest is a marketing major at LCU. Okay. Uh, my second is a senior, um, and so she's about to start college. Wow. I'm about to have two in college. That's Actually, awesome. my oldest is even engaged. She's getting married this summer. That's I cannot cool. believe I'm old enough. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, and then my youngest, he's now in eighth grade. So, did you? Wh- what did you do to intentionally kind of safeguard and protect your kind of mind and heart as related to work and success and driving the organization? You know, because if you've been kind of the president for, for 10, 15 years working in this fast-growing company, you know, that is the exact same track as your children, you know, going from elementary to junior high to high school to college. And so what, what did you do to safeguard and, and to protect that time? You know, my wife helps me a lot there. Um, she'll remind me if I'm spending too much time at work or I'm missing opportunities. Um, I, I do work a lot. I'll go in early. I'll work sometimes in the evenings after my kids are even in bed. I'll work sometimes on the weekends. But if my kids have an activity, I take off and I go to that activity. Um, and I expect my employees to do the same. Uh, so when when my kids have a vo- when my daughter had a volleyball game, you know, I was there in the stands. When my oldest daughter went to uh, you know state and cheer, I was I was there. Uh, when my son has a basketball game, I'm there. Um, but then we also cr- try to create uh, moments. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think back to uh, that book, and my wife and I have been even more intentional this last year to create moments with our kids. Um, but as an example with my son, we we build things every summer together. And so I'll take off work um, and, and we'll build uh, various different structures or things uh, together. And what better time than spending, you know, four days mm-hmm. um building, uh, you know, like a gazebo swing set in your backyard, or we spent a couple of months this summer building this um, ridiculous chicken coop, which which looks more <laughs> like a mini house <laughs> in our backyard together. Uh, but we learn together, and, and we build together, and it's time. My wife has always said, you know, it's, it's, it's not about, you know, people say, you know, ki- time with kids. It's about the um, quantity. Uh, quality, not quantity. Mm. But my wife has reflected and said, you know what, you can't always create quantity, um, but you can create quality and and design that quality so that there's quantity moments in it. Mm. And so we've tried to make sure that we have time as a family. That's really powerful. I love that. We, we've chosen to travel. I, I find it difficult not to work if I'm here. Uh, meaning at home or in Lubbock or whatever, and so we bought a motorhome. Yes. <laughs> we never, we've never so much as owned a tent, and so we just picked up a motorhome about three years ago. And it's, it's traveling has been like the most remarkable thing ever. I mean, 
just as you're talking about those quality moments, you know, I think of where we, you know, when we did the polar plunge in, you know, Yellowstone in early June last summer, oh, it's like the coldest thing I've ever done in my life. Oh, that is awesome. My, my son and my daughter, like they, first of all, they were a lot tougher than me. Uh, our daughter, uh, she beat us big time. She, she didn't even <laughs> so much as, you know, gasp for air and the rest of us were hightailing it out of there. But it's really powerful what you said. It's like not... It, yeah, that's it's really good. The quality, and I, I love how you you keep coming back to these creating moments, and you don't have to be fancy. You know, it could be anything, but you're creating these moments and these intersections in your life and your child's life. You mentioned travel, so that reminded me that years ago, my wife and I also didn't want our kids going off to college and, and being on their own without understanding a more global world mm. and how blessed we really are. Mm. And so we uh, decided to intentionally let my wife take one of our kids or uh, one year. So their junior and senior year, we wanted to take them overseas mm. uh, to, you know, an area that is uh, not like the U.S. Right. And so, yeah, my oldest daughter, my, my wife took her one summer and I took her the next summer. And then my middle daughter, I took her her junior year, but COVID hit. So we didn't get to take her out of the country this year. But, yeah, we created these times where we could spend one-on-one time but let them grow. Mm. And, wow, you could see a difference in my oldest daughter after she came back from Africa. Mm. Um, She she went there to serve girls that were her age that had been in horrible, um, you know, no families Mm. and, and, and where they were being abused and used into this environment. But yet they were, and they worked all day. But yet they were so happy. Yeah. And she's like, they have nothing and they're they feel blessed and happy. And we have everything and usually, you know, we're not. So creating those mm. um, opportunities for them to see the world in a much bigger way. Mm. I love it. It's so good. Russ, thanks. You've been generous with your time. Thanks for, for sharing all that and a lot of it's so personal. So thanks for being on the podcast today. Well, I really appreciate it. I've, I've loved your podcast. I've loved listening to them. So. Thank you. No, I appreciate it.